Gregoire and Dan Veston are smart enough to know better. Hello and to episode. Jumped all over me. (laughs) Welcome to episode 120 of Smart Enough to Know Better. A podcast of comedy. Oh, don't do that. It's already hard enough with the delay. Okay, so podcast (laughs) of science. Comedy. And ignorance. I'm Greg Waugh. And I'm Dan Beeston. And in this week's episode, I am going to make you sick. And in this episode... I will take you across the Bifrost Bridge. Then we're going back to ancient Ethiopia. And hello, this is Flipper. But until we get to that point, what has happened to you this week in science? This week in science, i it's not particularly scientific, but it's science fiction based. So I thought I wanted to talk about it. I went to see the movie Arrival. <gasps> oh, no spoilers. No spoilers. I'm Absolutely. seeing that on Tuesday. I, I can't wait. I I promise not to spoil anything, but it's worth... I don't normally go, hey, go see this movie, but go see this movie. It's not big. It's just, for those who don't know, it's it's Amy Adams, Jeremy Renner. Amy, Amy Adams is the lead role. And the idea is that 12 spaceships, giant, massive spaceships, turn up in our atmosphere and land randomly around the world. And not in cities particularly, just somewhere in the Indian Ocean, off the coast of Perth. Some of them are in Montana. Some of them are off the coast of China. They don't seem to have any rhyme or reason where they turn up usually they just hover over the white house and the eiffel tower yes and i like this one but yes some of them were over cities i think one's over mexico city but many of them are not over cities they're just around the world northern southern hemisphere not even equally spread just around the world and of course human beings go as you would and these things are like big lozenges floating a couple of meters above the ground vertically big scary black monolithy kind of things the story is about Amy Adams' character, who is a linguist, trying to communicate with the aliens and learn their language and, and how, the, how they think. And the basic premise is, without spoils, I promise it's not a spoiler, it's does language shape your brain? So just because humans, uh, well, humans talk to each other in a certain way, does that make our brains work in a certain way? And does Chinese language mean that the Chinese think differently to the English speaker's language? And I've forgotten the name of the, of the theory that this is a, this is a thing, because it actually is a thing. But I really like this movie. It's, there's no explosions, there's no ray guns, there's no aliens biting each other's people's faces off. Teleporters? It's, uh, Sun's no. exploding. They're, they're actually, Sun's oh, exploding? I'm not going to say anything. I'm not saying anything. Laser tanks. Anything. Laser tanks? Phaser tanks. Yes. Yes, you've hit it on the head. It's all about laser tanks. That's what it is. Photon tanks. <laughs> there are tanks. There are people running around in tanks. That's kind of cool. You may consider it slow, but it has that feeling of a Stanley Kubrick, like 2001, and it's got that Steven Spielberg Close Encounters feel. It's You can obviously – I forgot who the director is as well. Sorry, it's a bad review. But uh, the, <laughs> um, obviously they're drawing from that sci-fi, maybe even like Contact – but it's if you, yeah. it's, better than, it's better than contact. Oh, I loved contact. Uh, then you, I think you'd really like this movie. So I, I I would hope that this sort of movie gets there are more of these sort of thoughtful sci-fi movies. The, the premise of sci-fi is take one thing, twist it, change it, and see how the world works from there. So we all have flying cars. We all what happens if we could download our brains to the internet, whatever. You just change one thing and yeah. then run with it. So this is that. So Fifth Element doesn't really land in that. Fifth element. That's is, most... What if everything was changed? Yeah. 
I always think that's more space opera. Space opera. Style. Yep. Yeah. I mean, and you could argue these points, but this is sci-fi. This is almost hard sci-fi, I would say, within reason. I want these more of these sort of movies to exist, so I hope that people will, instead of going to see Doctor Strange, or as well as seeing Doctor Strange and all these movies that are coming out, superheroes punching each other movies, then go see this movie. Support it. Because it's not like, what was the other one that I went to see that everyone hated? 10% of her brain movie, that one, that upset everyone. Oh, where she they just dump in superpowers into her brain and suddenly she can like make yes. things hover she, in her air? She, she, she like Lulu of, or something? Yeah, she uses more of her brain and therefore she can do karate and stuff like that. And, and I didn't mind that, It was, but it wasn't sci-fi. It wasn't a sci-fi movie. People got caught up on the premise, which is weird. It's like, was it a fun movie? Yeah, it's fun enough. But this is really good. I don't want to compare these two movies. Why am I talking about the bad yeah, movie? Yeah, this is... You are a bad reviewer. I'm a terrible... I don't review movies. I'm a scientist, damn it. I'm not a reviewer, Jim. Go see Arrival. And if you don't like it, then um, on Twitter, on SC2KB, tell me while I'm wrong. Or if you did like it, at SC2KB, tell me while I was right. We'd love to know. Was there a Charlie Sheen sci-fi film called The Arrivals? And there's, like, aliens with, like, knees that bent backwards, and and it was also terrible. Came out just about was the it, same time as Contact. Wasn't it Science? Is that... No. Is that no, Charlie? that's um, Science is uh, Mel Gibson. Charlie, oh, I have vague memories of a little kid looks up at the camera and their knees bend backwards and they run off. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I've ever seen the movie. I've only seen people... Bad You're lucky. Movie. You're lucky. <laughs> anyway, that's not Arrival. Go see Arrival. Oh, all right. My Week in Science, it yes. has started to get hot. I mean, obviously, it's it's Brisbane in Australia. It started to get hot in August. But now yeah, it's, right. like, proper hot. It's like, here is a very hot day for you. So during <laughs> during the day, the house warms up. And then at night, you want the wind to blow through. So, like, if you're near the coast, you, like, open the front window and open the back window and it just becomes a big wind tunnel and sucks all that nice cool air from outside, which is fine if there's a breeze. But if you're not right on the beach or there's no wind, but you want it to be nice and cool when you go to bed, what you really want to do is, like, get the cool outside air into your bedroom and so that it's all nice and cool. Mm -hmm. So, to do this, you need to drop the atmosphere pressure in the house or raise the pressure outside so <laughs> yes how would you raise the pressure of something you'd heat it wouldn't you well hot air rises so if you heat it up then cold well if there's weight well, it expands the roof, too well that's why it gets becomes less dense so if you heat it it expands and it becomes less dense and therefore it rises up and therefore, cold air can come, or denser, colder air can come in down the bottom. Oh, if, there's, if, if there's a way for hot air to get out of the roof. Ah, yes. What you could do is you could just... So if you could, like, drop the temperature inside, wouldn't yes. all that air that's inside condense? If you, if you could lower the temperature so it gets smaller. the air inside, it becomes cooler and it becomes more dense and it would sink down. So it's yes. smaller. And so then yes. once it's smaller, then the pressure outside the house is bigger and then all that lovely cool air can come in from outside. Uh, if there is a way for that dense air to go through your floor yes well what if it just shrinks if it just it's not going to shrink that much oh <laughs> well it can and then it turns to a liquid form and now yeah. you're in liquid oxygen and yeah. that's bad so you just oh, okay. turn all your all the air in your in your house into like freeze it so much that it becomes liquid and then yes, you've just got yes. this, like slushing oxygen and, yeah, and yeah. hydrocarbons and stuff just sitting on your floor and then yeah, it, right. that creates a pressure vacuum and then all the lovely cool air from outside rushes in right that's exactly how it works so that's I can cool down my bedroom like that. That's exactly right. Simple. So, by the way, you only need to cool down the oxygen in the atmosphere to about negative 180 degrees Celsius. Okay. Um, if I can't do that, <laughs> only if I can't do that. Only, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, what I could do is I could close all the windows in the house 
except yes. for my bedroom window. Yes. And then I could turn the extractor fan in my shower on, and that would just start sucking air straight up into the ceiling, and then yes. just pulls in this lovely outside air. Yes. So that that is also a solution to making my bedroom <laughs> nice and cool. Yes, switching on the extractor fan. Science! Yeah. Extracting in the hot air. You mean the thing that it's designed to do is the thing that it's, it does. Well, actually, that it's designed to extract moisture. Oh, okay. I apologise. Uh-huh. See? See, I'm MacGyvering that extractor fan. <laughs> I see. Yes. <laughs> By sucking out the air, what you're doing is lowering the air pressure because there's less air, and therefore it gets replaced with outside air. And if it's cooler, that's good. If it's hotter, not so good. Yeah, no, you don't want it hotter outside. I made that mistake last week because I'm in Perth, Australia, and which is fantastic, by the way. I think it, I think it's going to get to 25 degrees today. It's gorgeous outside. I'm looking at it right now. It's wonderful. Beautiful weather at, at the moment. We, we've actually had weirdly cold. It's November, mid-November, by the time of recording this, and it's weirdly cool, which is great. Like, I've still got blankets on the bed for nighttime. But anyway, but I one day I woke up and I opened my screen door and opened my glass door, and I actually felt the heat enter my house <laughs> I was like, no! muscled in like a thug hello there mr war you've opened the door you haven't been paying back your bills have you mr war <laughs> mosey 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 knock stuff off the shelf oh what a shame what a shame I'm... if all this lovely cool air were to become heated and expand it's terrible because i'm sort of second level so above me i've got the suckers who keep the sun off me and below me i've got the suckers who keep the heat from the earth from me so I've, i'm actually it's wonderfully insulated where i am great really really nice and if it get, does get hot in here and which it will come summer i actually have a really good what you've just said then i have seems to be high pressure on one side of the house and lower on the other because there's always a wind tunnel if i open both doors so I'm very lucky where I am. So I don't need to worry about extractor fans. I just have to open doors. And, or liquid oxygen. Or liquid oxygen. But also we have the, in Perth, we have what's called the Fremantle Doctor, which is anyone who's heard that term before. It's just in the afternoon, that you get a breeze. That sounds like a brothel. No? It does. Well, <laughs> well, it probably is. Look, we don't like to brag. But there's also a breeze off the Indian Ocean in the afternoon. And I'm, here's my theory on that. My theory is that you have the great brown land of Australia to the east. And, of course, it's mainly desert. And my, my idea is that... It heats up horribly, and then all that hot air lifts off the off the surface, mm-hmm. and that sucks in air from the Indian Ocean, mm-hmm. and that's that's the Fremantle Doctor. I'm I'm sure that's got to do with it. I haven't actually looked mm. it up. I should. Well, that's, but, um, that's that's general. That's your general sea breeze, isn't it? That's, you get that yeah, everywhere. Right. You get coastline. Yeah, but for some reason, nearly every afternoon, say in Perth, you get you get this breeze. It doesn't matter what time of the year, what day. It just afternoon breeze. It's great. Come to Perth. Everyone should move to Perth. <laughs> You're so lonely. No! <laughs> I've got me and the doctor. We're fine. Shooting the breeze. <laughs> That's also a sex thing, isn't it? <laughs> there has been a new nation created, kind of, sort of, somewhat, maybe a little bit. And one for all us space enthusiasts to join. Asgardia has been created. Oh, and, oh, oh. And now, how now do we get there? And now, well, obviously, across the Bifrost Bridge, oh. we just have to for, to Asgardia and go with the Norse gods. I would stand on any bridge or any spanning object that has the word frost in it at this moment. <laughs> Can I, actually, when I was doing research into this, I made a decision. I feel really bad about it, but it's the Bifrost Bridge. I call it the Bifrost Bridge because it's spelled Bifrost. But when you look into it, it's actually pronounced Bifrost. Ooh. <laughs> Bifrost Bridge. See, now, I, no, feel, I, now I feel hot and hungry. <laughs> 
So that's the guy said the guy going, No, it can't be called the beef roast bridge. But you're supposedly, if you say it the right way, it's beef roast. It's like Mjolnir, which I can never say. I'm gonna say Mjolnir, Mjolnir, because it upsets the listeners every time I say the the Thor's hammer. Mjolnir. Uh, yeah, Majolna! So I've tried every way. I, I, every time I've said Majolna or Mjolna or Mulna or a, every other way I've said it, I've got someone emailing going, you're wrong! I'm a person on the internet! Which is uh, not that I, which I love. I love our listeners and that's not, I don't think you sound like that. I totally think they sound like that. But yeah, basically... I thought it was you know, pronounced Black and Decker. But... <laughs> So I thought the, cat, the hammer was referred to because that's what's written yeah. down the side of it, isn't it? Yes, yeah, so that's right. And he and he got it. He, he got it made in the in the mystical forge of Bunnings. <laughs> so anyway, across the Bifrost and across the Bifrost, a Russian scientist, Igor Asher Bailey, has come together and said he wanted to create a new nation in space, and he's called it Asgardia. And he got some cosmonauts, and he's got some other scientists, and said, okay, we need to create a new nation. So what he wants to do is put a satellite into space and declare it a nation. So how do you how do but, you declare a nation? Well, you've, like, got, what, you've got to stick a flag in it first, but I thought you couldn't own anything in space. Ah, so you, you have hit on a problem there. Exactly right. So, But, but let's go back first. Let's, how do you oh, define... Oh. How do you define a nation? What What is a nation? Um, uh, it's a thing with a flag in it. It's a thing. So if I stuck a flag in you, would that make, make you a nation? Yes. I would be Danada. No, <laughs> Afghanistan. I like Danada. <laughs> I like the idea. That we have the YRSA and Danada above him. Uh, <laughs> I thought you would be the USSR. USS, oh, actually, yes. Yes, we are. Yes. Anyway, yeah, I prefer that one. So anyway, the, the idea of a nation is that an, an international law says that a state should have a permanent population and territory associated with it. So that's that's the basic idea of what a nation is. So but there's nowhere it says that that territory has to be on Earth because no one planned this when they came up with the idea of a nation. So by putting a satellite into space, that means there's territory and this Russian crazy person, as he sort of says he wants to be, well, he doesn't want to be called a crazy person, but he understands that people probably think it is. He says that then we're going to hunt There's a very big people. difference there. <laughs> There's a hundred thousand. Oh, no, people. I understand. Like when a Russian man is like, I understand that you'll call me crazy. I don't like it when you call me crazy. Stop <laughs> calling him crazy. Yes. Well, I'll read the quote. I wouldn't be surprised if you all write that I am a crazy Russian scientist, but I've always gone against the grain and had a lot of success. There you go. So he's then asked 100,000 people, once the satellite's in space, he's going to get 100,000 people to sign up online, and that will be enough people to say, okay, so we have a permanent population and we have a place, a, a, some, some territory. But you hit it on the head, Dan, before. Unfortunately, no nation can own space or nothing in space. Mm-hmm. So that, now that's, a, that's an interesting point. When so they wrote this, it, once... one, like the, the Americans don't own the moon, put it that way. No, they do not. And, uh, and no one, no nation can. But here's a side note. What's weird is those rules. Once again, no one thought it through back back when they came up with these rules. It doesn't say that a corporation can't own space. It says a nation can't own space. Oh. Uh oh. Uh oh. Uh oh. Yes. I can hear Wayland Yutani. I can hear. I can hear. Uh, I can hear Bill Gates's ears pricking up. No, I think I, I can honestly hear Elon Musk's. I mean, Elon Musk's SpaceX. I mean, they, their idea is to go out into space, grab an asteroid, pull it into Earth's orbit, 
and and then to mine it because then they'd own it. They're a corporation, so they well, could probably can, get can, away with it. You can hear Elon Musk because you've got him like tied up in the basement, right? Well, that's oh, he, he, I wouldn't have to tie him up. We just we'd be frolicking in the meadows, Dan, frolicking. <laughs> The idea is to build this satellite. Now, of course, there are problems here, big problems, a satellites in orbit and that sort of stuff. Well, who owns that satellite? Well, it belongs to Asgardia. But at the moment, satellites have to be owned by a nation. So you have a catch-22 situation, chicken and the egg at the very least. You've got to have a nation to launch the satellite, and the nation owns the satellite, but then the satellite becomes a nation. So it would have to secede from that nation. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I know. It all gets very confusing. So there'd have to be some sort of revolution in the satellite, and then everyone would have to leave and go live on the satellite, maybe? I don't know. What would um, happen if you got, say, Ireland, and you put it in, like, a big dome and shot it into space? Would they suddenly stop become, being their own nation or owning themselves as a nation? Well, Because they'd uh, be a nation in space. Surely they could own themselves. Yes. Space law is complex. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. And that's right. It's not, it hasn't been designed for all this sort of stuff. Yeah, like uh, they, they never thought about getting Ireland and putting it on the back of a giant <laughs> space whale. That's right. Just like in, well, Britain did it in um, Doctor Who. In the They actually did that. Remember, it was the new Britain on the back of the space whale. Really? Really? Yeah, they actually Doctor. did the thing that I was referring to. Hang on. I think it's being <laughs> sarcastic. But you said Ireland. It confused me. I'm sorry. Ireland, you know that Ireland's not Britain, don't you? That's not, not from what I've heard. But I've been hanging oh. out with some really seedy British pups. <laughs> I was about to say, goodness me. A lot of Irish people just picked up bats, by the way. Yep. Uh, well, no, there's Northern Ireland, I guess. Sorry, Northern Ireland. Oh, goodness me. Let's, let's back away. Let's go back to the simple complexities of international space law. So anyway, this, this is a crazy idea. And I love these ideas. So I remember originally I really liked the idea of Mars One. I think it's not that good anymore. I'm interested when people try and push the envelope on what's possible with space. So in the future, maybe there will be, this will lead to space organizations and space countries. And we can all join it in space and get off the planet Earth. But, you know, maybe not as well. We'll see what happens. I got to do my favourite thing in the world recently. Indoor skydiving. No. Giving coffee to the poor. No. Reading literature from romance novel, French romance novels. You don't know me at all. <laughs> I went whale watching Ooh. off the coast of Brisbane. Did you find... Did you find an island on their back? I did not. That's only space whales and only in fiction or the previous segment. We went in a boat, great big boat, off the coast of Brisbane. Uh, obviously, well, maybe not obvious to our, some of our listeners, some of the best humpback whale watching experiences in the world are down the uh, east coast of Australia. And, and the west coast. Uh, yeah, but what sort of experience would you have the rest of the time on the west coast? Punch! <laughs> gut punch! Uh, I'm quite enjoying this East Coast, West Coast rivalry. rivalry. Yeah. Uh... Oh, time to do some, like, rap battles or something. All right. <laughs> but we are... You can't just throw way. up a, a, a gang sign on a I podcast. Just, I... They can't see. Maybe they can. West side. side. Just like you can hear a smile over the phone, you can hear a gang sign over a podcast. <laughs> It, it, it clashes with the tuxedos we're both wearing. Oh, absolutely, yes. Well, we're high-class gangsters. <laughs> so, lovely day out on the bay, watching these, what are they called? Great big fish go past. Fish. Giant fish. Giant fish. But there is a bit of a problem because my lovely wife, the frog princess, she gets travel sickness. Mm. So she mm. gets seasickness. And so she's got to make sure that she's had 
seasickness pills before she goes out. Because once you get past the bar and out onto the open ocean, it can get a bit rocky. It can get a bit uh, swishy. You know, my problem is when I go out there, because I went whale watching a couple of months ago, and I got sick, and it wasn't the choppiness that got me. I could deal with that. It was actually when it was gentle, and that sounds really dumb. It was the swell, the subtle swell. So it was it was just this... Uh, down. Mm. And my brain went, okay, we're, we're okay now. Uh, oh, we're not good. Down. Okay, we're okay now. Uh, for three hours. And yeah. my brain really was like, okay, it's, it's, it's got to stop now. Oh, no, it's still going. What is this? And that's what upset me the most. It was really odd. But when it was like bang, 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 and you're like blasting through the water, I was like happy as Larry. But for some reason, it was just that it was just enough for maybe to go, am I standing still or not standing still? And my brain just went, ah. I might be able to explain a bit more about that then. Because the prevailing theory is that there's a mismatch between two sets of data. Because your inner ear is sort of swishing all over the place going, yes, we are not steady, but your Mm -hmm. eyes are like looking at the boat and the boat just looks like a great big vehicle that should be still. But it's not still. But your your eyes are telling you that it's still, and your ears are Mm. telling you that it's swishing all over the place, and your brain is like, oh no, that's now now we're dizzy. No, and what's that? What's that big blue line out the window that's sort of rocking up and down? Yeah, I got told that's the thing you should be looking at. Look at the horizon. Don't look at the boat. Indeed, staring at the horizon works quite well for some people because then Mm. your inner ear and the horizon are both sending the same data. There is, however, a competing theory from Tom Stoffrigan, a professor of kinesi. Kinesiology at the University of Minnesota. He's got a different explanation. It's called the postural stability theory. Okay. So when you're still, just standing up on the ground, you're not actually still. Uh, Your muscles are are all sort of gently contracting and expanding all over the place to make sure that your center of gravity is in the right spot. And so, you know, a little tiny gust or just a, a twitch from a muscle will push you slightly back and then your muscles will compensate and push you slightly forward. So your toes push in, rocks you back, your heels kick in, nudge you forward. It just keeps you upright. Yes. Took a while to get us to get that right when we were kids, but now that we got it, we can do it without even thinking about it. Mm. It's actually one of those interesting things I was looking into for bike riding, why we stay upright on bikes. And it's very, very hard. We won't go into it right now. There's lots of great videos online about this. But the signal that you're to stay balanced on a bike using very similar muscles, it actually happens faster than your conscious brain can react to it. So once again, it's things are happening with your muscles and your arms and your body that isn't controlled by your brain. It's sort of going to the central the spinal cord and sending... It's kind of like when you burn your hand, you don't send a signal to your brain going, move your hand, idiot. It sort of sends it and it quickly fires it back so you move your hand off. So a lot of these things are happening subconsciously, like very, very quickly. Hmm. So, I'm, so I'm guessing it must be similar to that. You can stand because your brain's not going left a bit, right a bit, left a bit, right a bit. It's a bit more... No, uh, it's all just sort of sorting itself Built out. into the hardware. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I didn't read that, but probably. That sounds good. You know what? That's a terrible way to address science. Yeah, it's a- We're both speaking at our ass about that particular point, but it sounds good. If your heels sort of nudge you forward at the same time as the swell nudges you back, then your body gets confused, and again, it's that two bits of conflicting input. Okay. So women carry weight lower on their bodies. They sure do. Oh, no. What have I done? Well, you did a Dan joke. Um, uh, they, so they, they sort of sway slower but wider, whereas men are a bit more top-heavy and they sway a short distance and they do it faster. So they've got sort of a higher frequency. Yeah, they're a higher frequency shake. Oh, okay. Men evolved to be faster at compensating for tiny little balance movements. 
just because we're we're higher up and we move faster and so we've got to compensate faster so i wonder whether possibly that's why women get more like women get more motion sick than men and it could be because really? that's that's been that's been shown yeah yeah so okay. when once you turn a certain age men maybe five percent of men get travel sick and like 40 percent of women do really wow yeah, that's it's surprisingly big oh okay yeah but yeah so men are sort of compensating and are, are more effective at compensating for changes in movement Whereas, right. like, from on a hardware level, possibly, yeah, possibly, possibly, we just made that up. <laughs> what, what are we saying here? Careful. <laughs> this should make us dizzy. Like, it should screw up our equilibrium and make us dizzy. But yep. why it makes us sick is a bit more of a confusing thing. There's one theory, although it's not particular, not a particularly convincing theory to people who work in the area, and that yep. it's an evolutionary response to poison. Uh, because yep, some right. poisons will mess up the vestibular system. So yes. if you've ever taken a shower with a hangover, you would have experienced this, that there's a poison in your system and you feel dizzy. That never happens. Why, why does taking a shower make you feel worse? I don't know. I, I think thought... it's just the first time of the day that you get really up. Like, get up. It's, it, yeah. Have you not experienced the shower thing? I think it, no, I heard it was quite I, common. I had, I had to the shower. With, if the times I've been hung over my life and I felt ill, getting to a shower is the best thing in the world. Like, I, I, if that's a temperature thing or there's something about it, it's very relaxing and very, very happy-making for me. It might be that people I, notice the, the dizziness because there's a, a wall in front of them. Like, they're, they're close to looking at a wall, and so they realise okay. how much they're swaying around. Yeah, right. Okay. But, yeah, so you will get dizzy if you have certain poisons. So the body right. is sitting there with some people and going, oh, are we poisoned? We should probably purge. We should probably get yeah. all these toxins out of us. Yeah. Well, I must admit, I get that. Anytime I get ill, like seriously ill, one of the first things my body does is find somewhere dark, some, find somewhere cool, and sit very still. And so it will, it will hammer me. Like I will end up curled up in a corner just to keep me out of danger, I think. It's just that whole kind of, you can't fight the bears. Go hide in a cupboard. <laughs> and it, it's really weird. I'm, I'm sort of, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm dead. And that's the end of it. Like, there's, there's a very, like, vomit, hide, and that's it. <laughs> uh, it's, such, it's, a, it's a really fast transition for me. So, but I, I don't get normally days of feeling kind of ill. And my brain goes, with seasickness, it happens too. I go, brain goes, you're going to be ill. It may not happen right now but it's going to happen. Just so you're aware, you should probably find somewhere you can be ill into. And, and so I've got this, like, and, and you go, there's nothing that's going to, like when I get that message, it's going to happen now. Like it's, it may take an hour, but I know I'm going to be physically ill at some point. It's such a weird, hey, Greg, I know you've got a busy schedule, but maybe schedule uh -huh. in some uh -huh. vomiting. So uh, it's, it's kind of weird. Your brain is loading a small revolver somewhere in your, in your digestive <laughs> yeah. system. I, I always think it's it's on my side. Like it's not, it doesn't just go, hey, everything's cool, vomit. It's like, dude, we really should um, vomit, but I'm going to give you some time to get some dignity together. So uh, work that one out. So, it's Chekhov's view. I don't care if you're 30 miles or 30 miles, 30 kilometers out to sea. You know, you anyway, yeah. Vomit. Hilarious. Mm. You can overcome motion sickness. Uh, oh, you, yes? you can desensitize yourself to it. So there are programs to treat it. Although uh, a scientist called Hain said, uh, I've sometimes used these exercises to treat patients, though they always get so sick that they never want to finish it. I've never <laughs> been able to get anyone through the whole two-month program. <laughs> Very useful. There's also Dramamine. Now, yes, Dramamine is a sedative. 
It makes you relax and it makes you lean on stuff and sit down. And anything that provides you with more stability is going to help with travel sickness. Yeah, yeah. The placebo effect is probably at work here too. So if you can put a patch or drink ginger ale or stare at the horizon or have the wind in your face and you can use any of these things to convince your subconscious that it's not poisoned, that's probably going to help out. Or actually poison yourself and then... No, that wouldn't help. Wait, bad idea. (laughs) And you wouldn't get sicker. You only yeah, get right. as sick as the poison would make you. That's right, yeah. And then you know what it is. Or, you know, I've got some, got some control here, so it's all fine. Or poison yourself in exactly the manner that offsets the feeling of poison from the other one, kind of like cancelling yep. out a waveform. <laughs> so you want to cancel out the sick form. Or, or when you're on land... Poison yourself so it feels exactly like you're seasick now or travel sick. And then you will habituate yourself to being sick all the time. Was that, was that, that's what that scientist was that's doing. That's what the scientist was doing. Ah, I see. I understand now. I'm there with you, you on that one. Okay. Yes. That Some... would suck. That would suck. <laughs> Some people watch the driver of their car and mimic their motions. The driver won't tend to get sick because they're anticipating the change in movement. So yes, if you yeah. carefully watch the driver, then you can anticipate the movement by watching their anticipations. Right. Actually, I, I, that's interesting. It's funny how being the driver, it's better to be the driver all the time anyway, because, you know, the, normally you kill the person on the passenger seat. So anyway, that's a different thing for a different time. But the death seat. Well, no, just, I just hate them. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> that's just me. But no, supposedly you do when you, you turn, you pull to the right because you're dominant hand if you are right handed. And that means that you will actually put the pole into the passenger seat. So it's kind of like the death seat. It's anyway, that, but that is something different. I was driving for work in a truck last week. And the person I was with made a couple of complaints. Could, could Greg, slow, oh, my God, you're too fast. You're, you're braking too hard. You're doing this wrong. You didn't do that roundabout right. And I was like, I, am I? Like, I felt really weird. I went, oh, okay, sorry, man. You know, I'll, I'll be more kind of careful. And I thought about it later, and I was like, oh, I don't think I was. I'm a good driver. No, I've always said I'm a six on the ten, you know, out of ten. Like I'm not a great driver, but I'm okay. But I honestly think what was going on in that situation was that he, we were higher up than normal because we were in a truck, so you know we're actually much oh, yeah. higher. So you lean forward, you get, you get swung back and forth in the cabin a lot more. And I knew what was going on, so I could brace, just subconsciously brace. But he was suddenly going oh, and like grabbing the console, and to him it felt very violent. But I don't think it was, and I think that's what you just said there, and it's. If he was driving, I would have felt I was being thrown around, but he would have felt safe. So I offered him to drive, and he was like, no, you know, but uh, now I have a reputation of being a crazy driver at work. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> good. I always keep him on the back foot. That's right. I could, I could kill him at any moment. But I think that's the same thing. Maybe that's the same thing. You don't know where, the, where it's moving, and therefore your body gets freaked out. Well, if you do really still, if you try all these things and you still get seasick, there is one more solution. What's that? Don't go on a boat. Very good point. And that's why you should come to Western Australia and you can just go to Rottnest Island and stand on the headlands and watch the, watch the, the whales go past the headland. Yeah, you can't chase them. You can't chase them and hit them with sticks. <laughs> Wait, I mean, I didn't do that. No, no, we didn't. Nature's beautiful, great fish. <laughs> you should really not annoy cetaceans, Dan. You shouldn't hit them with sticks. No. And you should. No, I didn't. You shouldn't. What? No, you, don't be silly. I didn't do no, that. I'm, I'm, and do you know why you shouldn't? Maritime law? Well, well there's maritime law. but Like public opinion? Of, well, there's that too. What have we ever cared about? Obviously, look at this podcast. What have we ever cared about public opinion? Good, good, the, good point. <laughs> it's because they'll talk to each other. <gasps> what? They'll talk about you. Behind my back? Behind your back. Oh, absolutely. And right in front of you, in fact, that's been shown. 
in the uh, those Karadag... blowhole sons of bitches. <laughs> the Karadag Nature Reserve in the Ukraine. There's some researchers have actually done some researches on dolphins, smaller cetaceans, smaller fish. Uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to the letters from our listeners, our newer listeners, going, "They're not fish, you son of a! I'll kill you with a stick. They're fish. They're fish." <laughs> Prove me wrong. Anyway, these these cetaceans, they actually took two dolphins and they recorded them. That's what we have done. But they've actually recorded them having a conversation, just like we have conversations now. In that foolishly, huh? <laughs> Yes, yes, out in the open. We talked about how dolphins have names, so they know their names. So when, when if you're in the ocean and you want to talk to other people, they might not be able to see you, other, other cetaceans, they might not be able to see you, but so you've got to identify who the whistle and clicks come from. So they actually worked out that the, some part of the click would always be the same. So the Gregoire click might be you know, a, a certain whistle and click, and I would always tag my message with that. It's kind of like breaker, breaker, this yeah. is, you know. CB radio. Yeah, and so and and that was considered their name. That's how they are self-identified. So dolphins have names, but now they say that dolphins actually communicate with phonemes and words. So when one was talking, the other one sat quietly and listened. And then that doesn't it would sound just... like human conversation at all. <laughs> Shut up, Dan. Sorry, didn't mean to interject there. Got quiet. Oh, we're dumber than dolphins. What can I say? <laughs> so these it won't happen again. Talk. <laughs> oh, it just, it just must be Skype slowing down. It must be a Skype delay. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. uh-huh. Bloody East Coasters. So the dolphins would actually sit and listen to the whistles and squeaks, and then they would respond with the whistle and squeak themselves, back and forth, back and forth. And so it was like a conversation. It wasn't just them madly, you know, like, my tree, my tree, like the birds seem to do. They <laughs> listening to each other or hey baby hey baby hey baby they they yeah they do so we think that they have words in their language as well which i think is really interesting especially after i said to talk about at the start about arrival the movie arrival and about language again maybe they do have a rudimentary form of language or maybe they have a not even a rudimentary language maybe they have a very complicated language that we don't get because it's not about mcdonald's people may have been wondering what was actually recorded by the uh, dolphins and uh, we've managed to translate it because we're doomed doomed no no i get it <laughs> my time Welcome to Pimp My Time, the segment where one of us is sent back in time, not just to live, but to thrive. And last episode, I sent Dan to 500 AD, the Aksum Empire, which is in modern-day Ethiopia. And what this means is Dan steps into the time machine, the doors close irrevocably. They can't be opened anyway. Find him. And he has one hour for the machine to power up, so he has one hour to study that period of history, to thrive, to pimp his time. So, Dan, the machine goes pop and fizzle. There's a bright purple light. And you're sent back to 500 AD, Axum Era. How will you thrive? How will you thrive? Well, I am going to thrive because I'm ready. I'm ready to do this. In the Axum Empire, 
this is another trading city. Ooh. So, like, Merv before it, they, uh, they're dealing with trade. Like that other place that's closer towards Mongolia, they are all into trade. It's, it's the whole Silk Road thing. Everyone loves trade, yeah. but it's not near the Silk Road. This is East No, Asia. no, but it's still trading. And okay. they're so successful at it, they've minted their own currency. Ooh, very nice. So that's great. I, I don't need to teach them that. Yes. It is alleged that this is the final resting place of the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> okay. But being that this is a science podcast, probably use right. that one as plan B. Right. Good. Okay. Good. Now, Just don't touch it. Make sure you close your eyes. Make sure you close your eyes yeah. and you open it. Yeah. Because yeah. um, it, it will fry an atheist like you to a tiny, tiny piece. Oh, yeah. No, it won't like me. won't like me. <laughs> also, a bit of a Nazi on the weekends. <laughs> uh, grammar Nazi, but the Ark of the Covenant doesn't know the difference. No, it's it's it, it just doesn't like yeah. Nazis. Yeah, that's yeah. right. For one thing, I spelled Ark A R C, which admittedly that's what kills you. Is there's this huge Ark, yeah, the, the, the huge electrical the, the Ark huge... of the Covenant, <laughs> covenant stabs. That's you right. Nazi. Yeah, that's right. Yes. This empire, it, it did quite well for quite a long time. There, in the first century, it sort of uh, it started to get more rain. So yeah, there was not... a, there was a change to the climate, which was excellent. So it, it brought more rain to the area, and what that meant is that you could get two yields of crops every year Ooh. rather than just one. So it's great because it could sustain a growing population. The problem is that in 600 AD, it really started to fall apart. Yes, all, all the rain dried up again, ah. but their population had uh, had gotten out of control, and so nice. the, this change flips back. Yet, yeah. uh, excuse me. That was me. I'm very hungry. Look, is that is that is that thunder? That's more thunder. Yes, <laughs> yes. It's so loud I can hear it through the through your microphone. That's impressive. Yeah, or it's just an amazing microphone. We've already had to stop this podcast once because I yes. got hit with a hailstorm. <laughs> just me, not the house. Just straight in the window. That's right. The Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> the Ark of the Covenant. I like the idea of the frog prince. It's like, hey Dan, I bought a new box. Yeah, ghosts, ghosts. Great. And now how are we going to get rid of them? Oh, you have to put on the extractor fan. Yep, that'd work. Or turn them into liquid oxygen. The, could you freeze a ghost? Probably oh, not. Look. Ectoplasm? Like, oh, what's the freezing be. point of ectoplasm? I, I don't know. We'd have to ask uh, Mr. Feige. He seems to know that sort of stuff. Yeah. Who? Uh, what, who? The director of the new Ghostbusters movie. Oh, all right. Yeah. Is it Feige? Is his name Feige? Am I totally wrong there? I don't know what's going on. Sure, Feige. But at any rate, it's a good demonstration of just how dangerous a changing climate is to a society. Because yes. as soon as that rain dried up, boom, you've got stacks of people who all need to eat and not enough. Yeah, that's normal. That's just, it's just lightning. Dan, Dan, stop upsetting the Lord. That's what I have to say about this. <laughs> so they intensified their farming and that can be quite dangerous. Because yes. there was like this huge wave of soil erosion, there was pastoral exploitation and irreversible land degradation. Okay, uh, now this allowed the Islamic forces to overcome the peaceful Christian society there. So, with the climate change, it was a lefty nightmare, and with the Islamic forces coming in and kicking out the Christians, it was a right wing nightmare combined. <laughs> like everyone could agree, this was very, very bad. This is all very bad. Yeah. But this all happened in 600 AD. Like, if I start coming in to warning them about climate change, well, we know how effective that is. Yeah. Like... <laughs> okay, so I'm, I'm too early hey, for that. Hi, everyone. I'm an expert. I've got lots of data. Yeah. The climate's about to change. Ah, ah I've been put to a stick. They're going to burn me. They're yeah. going to burn me alive. Yeah. Okay, so I found a better resource, something so I can make out like a hey, bandit. Hey, can, I, can I make a guess? Can I make a guess? So my guess is that if basically you're going to invest in 
like the anti-climate change stock market to make an absolute killing. You don't care in 100 years' time if everyone dies. That's not your problem. You're going to live that long. Hey. So as long as you make lots of money, lots of money, and, and then you can live like a king denouncing climate change. You are putting me – you're pi- picturing me as some sort of selfish – Narcissist type person. Why do you Didn't sit you make down? Clothes for the Nazis. Why did, did yeah, you not make clothes for the Nazis? Yes, the, a, yeah, the German population. I saved. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you made a better Nazi uniform in a they previous. They weren't all Nazis. Ladies and gentlemen, go back and listen to that one. Look up the Pimp by Time where Dan helps the Nazis. Like <laughs> saves, saves, saves yeah. my fellow Nazis. You did save the Nazis. Yeah. I must have been. Okay. Well, done. Well, yes. well, maybe it's time for a bit of redemption. It's renewable. It's lucrative. It's closely yeah. tied to the art world and artistry and culture. Yes. In 500 AD, in the Axum Empire, they were the world leaders in the production of ivory. <laughs> Oh, no. So I'm like, well, oh, maybe, no. maybe I can make out, well, maybe using all of the technology we have now, I can be really good at ivory production. So I'm thinking, <laughs> I bet, I bet I can figure out how to farm elephants. Right. Yeah. Yes. So that way you farm the elephants, get them all up to speed, and then chop off their tusks. Bob's your uncle. Lots of ivory. Okay. There is a problem with farming elephants. They're, they're very large and very intelligent and kind of belligerent. Uh, yes, these are all factors. <laughs> <laughs> now, a cow... And also, you can't just shave off the ivory. You've got to kill the animal and remove the ivory, do yeah. you not? What's your point? Oh, okay. Okay, that's fine. Well, it's not like they're going to grow back. No, no, I don't yeah. think they do. No, you no. kill the elephant, you get the ivory. And all that right. delicious meat. Yes, yes, I see. Yeah. And, so, and some sort of leather, and elephant skin suits, that sort of stuff. Yeah. So, a cow... <laughs> umbrella, umbrella basket. <laughs> um, on. A cow is born, a little tiny cow, but it's an adult after a year or so. After which yes. you can breed more cows from them. Right. So every year, more cows, more cows, more cows. Now, an elephant spends five years dependent on its mother, and it's reproductive by 13 years. Oh, okay. So right. an elephant, it's really long-lived. Like so it's like a person like... from Ipswich. Hey-oh! <laughs> oh, I get it. Yep. Cool. Yeah, yeah. The poor. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> so an elephant theoretically lives up to 70 years, but it's only yes. reproductive until the age 50. So it's really easy to farm sheep and cows. They're quick, quick turnover. Yeah. But you, it just right. makes no sense to farm elephants. They need huge amounts of land. They take poorly to captivity. They're smart enough that they'd probably start to try to kick the shit out of you. Probably. They yeah, have big feet. Yes, I okay. do. So farming elephants may not be the way to go. Oh, thank goodness. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. But here's something that was learned quite recently, is that there are effective ways to hunt elephants, more effective ways to hunt elephants now. So I can right. just hunt the, hunt the population. Now, oh, everyone else right. in the city is also hunting elephants, but I'm going to be the best at hunting elephants. I see. Okay. They're Did going you actually out... go on the internet and look up best ways to hunt an elephant? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I Using did. a bow and arrow and a spear? Look, there's bows and arrows. There's uh, We've talked about bows and arrows, and so I could certainly yes. try to bring some of that composite bow stuff, uh, although yes. that was a while ago and I can't remember how to make them. But um, there are other ways to kill elephants. Like There are spears. What's the problem with trying to kill yeah. an elephant with a spear? Well, it, you have to get close to it. You have to get close to it. F*** that for a joke. <laughs> As we discovered earlier, they're smart enough yes. that they could probably start kicking the shit out of you. 
That's not working out. Yeah, that's right. Okay, but there are some tribes in the northwestern Congo Basin, the Aka and the Baka, and they both pre- practice snare hunting. So they use okay. snares, like a little wire or rope on the ground, to hunt like little tiny creatures and slightly large creatures. And the Baka have also used big steel wires to snare catch elephants. Wow, okay. They, this only occurred to them in like the 1960s. Now, snares have been around yeah. for a really long time. They're a very old thing. But a metal snare, now that's something different. Yeah. Um, and also probably, probably quite hard to make. Quite hard to make, yeah. Not as easy as a rope. See, when an elephant steps on a snare, the rod gets bent and the spring loosens and the wire goes zzz and wraps around the foot. And then it's just stuck there. And then it just waits there quietly or angrily until you find it or it dies or both. You find it right. and then it dies. So what I need to do is I need to get a metalsmith to build me wire. Now, wire's been made for thousands of years. Okay. Mostly for jewellery and stuff, though. Okay. So yes. what we need to do is we need to make one into a rope. In the 1930s, a German mining engineer called William Albert got four wires, wound them together, and then did that three times. So it's like 12 wires in total and wound the mm. bundles together. This allows for amazing strength and durability that you don't get with a metal rod. A metal rod, right. if you bend it, it can it can snap. Like it's it's more fragile. Whereas a rope okay. will uh, will not snap. It'll, yep. Okay. But it will rub against itself a little bit. Mm-hmm. As long as I get this wire with the right amount of carbon content in it, which is between 0.04 and 0.95. I should right. be able to get that nice, bendy, flexy wire that will work. Okay. Yep. Now, there are some problems with a snare to catch an elephant. Snares are wa- were widely criticised by animal be- welfare. Beyond the beyond the ethical, beyond the uh, the, the terrible ethical implications. Well, that's here. what I'm that's what I'm getting at. Oh, Snares oh, okay, were actually right. widely criticised by animal welfare groups for their cruelty, which is a bit of a problem. But luckily, very little animal welfare groups in 500 AD. <laughs> so not really a problem. So I see. What yep, I'm going to yep. do is I'm going to lay traps and kill elephants the safe and easy way, sell ivory and meat like a meat and ivory baron. The elephant population won't know what hit it. And do you know what time it is then, Gregoire? Do you know what time it is then? What's that? What time? It's time to come on down to Crazy Dance Ivory Emporium. I've gone mad. Look at these sculpted ivory statuettes. I'm practically throwing them away for a crazy 25 silver denarii. This set of 52 white piano keys. A nutty 65 silver denarii. Special gift to reward your favourite slave. We've got ornaments, trinkets, headwear and jewellery. All at must-sell prices. And due to a shipping error, we're overstocked in ground-down aphrodisiac powder. Come on down today and take advantage of Crazy Dan before I come to my senses now i'm I, horrified i know what you're gonna say it's ground down rhino horn that's the aphrodisiac yes yes, yes. but not in my timeline baby it's all <laughs> about how you sell it <laughs> couldn't you also ride them couldn't you ride the elephants into battle or something like that couldn't you have like ethiopians riding riding elephants no don't they get really pissed off when you catch them in a snare they wouldn't let you near them <laughs> no, all much better just to slaughter them all. So there wouldn't be any elephants left now. What you're trying to say is there'd be very few elephants at this point. Yeah, no, probably not. Okay. That's not my problem. No, no, sorry. It's, it's pimp your time, not conserve things for future time. That's very true. That's very true. I think you have hit the nail on the head to, to pimp your own time very, very well. So well done, Dan. I'm once again impressed and horrified to be your friend. That's all I ever wanted. Now it's time to force you into the machine.
Where am I going? Where am I going? The year is 1400. The place, Moscow. Ooh, so many fuzzy hats. I'm looking forward to this. That's going to be good. Ah, but will you turn up before or after the fuzzy hat was invented? Oh, I hope, I hope before, because that's how I'm going to make my money. Whoa. Nothing but fuzzy hats. Excellent. So that's, I'll, be, I'll be sent into the machine and going back to 1400 AD, I'm assuming. AD? Yep. After AD, Jesus. Whatever, after Jesus. After Jesus. Okay. Excellent. I should look forward to heading to Moscow at that point to help them do something. I know very little about, about Russian history in the 1400s. It's going to be interesting. <laughs> You're about to find out. going to get cold. Cold, cold, cold. <laughs> I did a little bit of reading recently. We are pumping carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. I've, I've heard this a few times. Yeah, yes. carbon dioxide's awesome. It is pretty, it's a yeah. great greenhouse gas. Oh, yes. it's brilliant. It gets turned into trees and biomass. Yep. It's not toxic. Yep. It's not poisonous. It is yep. literally a natural byproduct of us living. Like, yes. I'm just making carbon dioxide with my mouth. That's right, yeah. Like a, like a, like a chemical reaction machine. Yes. There are very few situations where carbon dioxide is going to get you into trouble. Yeah. Yeah, it's very um, few. Yeah, that's right. Very and few. We do actually, I mean, we do actually need it in the atmosphere. So yeah. if we didn't have it in the atmosphere, then it, the, the temperature of the planet would be much, much colder. Yeah. Probably colder than we would yeah. like it to be. I don't yeah. mean like two or three degrees. I mean like 15, 30 degrees lower on average. Because the average temperature of the planet is about 15 degrees Celsius. And I think, if I remember correctly, without carbon dioxide, it would be negative 15 degrees Celsius. But I am... I may be wrong there, but it's somewhere in that in that ballpark. So what you're saying is the more carbon dioxide, the better. Uh, look, everything within reason, Dan. Everything within reason. That's like within yes, moderation. Should, yes, that's right. You should drink. You should drink water. But if you drink 14 liters of water in a day, you could die. So uh, yeah, don't do that. Okay. Well, and not so yeah. So yes, everything. Anything what about in moderation. 14 liters of vodka. Oh, that's fine. That's excellent. Brilliant. That's how. That's how you survive and get uh, frozen like the Encino Man. It's just yeah. the way it goes on. Yeah. Methane, also non-toxic. Yes. Uh, is flammable. Yes. So don't light a match. Yeah, but only with oxygen because yeah, that's what flammable is. So it's an oxidization reaction. So yeah. as long as you don't have oxygen around, it's perfectly fine. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. But it's we fine. do have oxygen around, so Damn don't it. light a match. Yeah, good point. But, yeah. uh, it is 28 times better at trapping heat energy than CO2. Yes. So being that they're both greenhouse gases and that they capture heat and keep them in the ex, in the atmosphere. Carbon dioxide actually hangs around for quite a long time in the atmosphere. It mm. can be a bit of a problem on a long-term scale. Uh, yes, because me- chemically quite stable. Mm. Whereas yep. methane actually vanishes from the atmosphere in about five years, mm. which I didn't and know. That's a- it's one of those things when you look at looking at planetary surfaces a long way away, so exoplanets, and if you discover a large amount of methane, it's a, an indicator there might be life, might. Of course, it can come from the ground. You can get you can get methane deposits being pumped in. But as you said, it gets taken away very quickly. So if it was a one-off belching of a volcano or something, you'd think a couple of years later it would all vanish. But if it's constantly being renewed, of course, that could be a continuous volcanic eruptions. Or maybe, 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 maybe it Space means cows. that there is... Space cows, yeah. Basically, it's one of the things you look at and go, well, there's methane in that atmosphere. It doesn't seem to be dropping. We should probably look at why that is, and it might be life. It mm. might be life. Methane's 28 times better than trapping heat, as I mentioned before. Mm. But I, I wondered why this would be, and uh, I sort of looked into it, and different wavelengths of light do, do, do different stuff. Like, sometimes you can see it, and sometimes yes. it's red, and sometimes it's green, and sometimes you can't see it at all. That's right, yes. Sometimes it cooks your food. Bloody it's confusing. weird. That's right. 
So if, if white light hits a cyan surface, it absorbs the red energy and bounces off the green and the blue energy. Mm-hmm. If infrared comes down, some of that energy will bounce off this or hit the CO2 and be absorbed. But a big chunk of it just goes passes straight through. So it just right. through. It's, it, that's called the wavelength window. Yes. So it just it just part it, like even though there's a thing there, there's molecules there. All this energy, it does, the wavelength just misses it and it just whooshes through. So it whooshes down, misses the CO2, bounces off, rushes back out into space, doesn't get blocked by the CO2. So only a little bit of is getting blocked by the CO2 and that's what's heating up. But methane, it doesn't have like the window thing. It's like a big. Well, black actually, hang on, hang on. I think I think it's the I think it's the the light comes through, gets absorbed by the ground. The ground re-emits it as infrared, as heat, and that oh. gets trapped inside the atmosphere. Yep. No, that makes. Yep. That That's makes it. Sense so it's not. Well. Yes. Yeah, so it's actually ground absorbing and then re-emitting in the infrared. Hmm. And it should just shoot straight out into space, and yep. a big chunk of it does, and it's just a little tiny part of the wavelength that gets blocked by the CO two. Yes, but that's right. Yeah. Yep. Methane doesn't really have like a, a great big window in it it's like a great big black surface so infrared energy bounces off comes up was emitted comes up and just hits the methane and just stops and that's and that stops heat stays there water vapor happens to water vapor too by the way so water vapor is a very good greenhouse gas yeah yeah Yeah, it is yeah yeah maybe i should drink like 14 liters of it (laughs) save the planet drink 14 liters of of water yes Uh, okay so we need less methane in Yes. Coming out of us. So where does the methane all come from? Cows. Cows. No. Well, and volcanoes, cows. things like that. Yeah, yes. volcanoes and deposits in the Siberian permafrost and stuff. But cows are yes. a really big problem. We have a lot of cows. Yes. And is it just the cows, like, just exuding this gas? Just no. pooing, pooing. They're farting it and they're belching yes. it. Okay, so some scientists at James Cook Uni in North Queensland have been experimenting with changing the intestinal flora in cows. <laughs> They found that feeding them less than 2% red seaweed can reduce methane emissions by 10 to 20%. Oh, wow. So we've been feeding them nachos. And Does like, it work for people? You know Does what? it work for people? Um, I don't know. You know I, could th- I could think of some people who probably should eat that. That would be good. Yeah, they, they're a bit smelly, a bit belchy, oh, they're just, a bit farty. Just a bit... Just a bit farty, a bit belchy, yeah. yeah. No, no one in particular. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about, I'm, I'm talking about you, listener. Yes, I'm talking about you specifically. Yeah, you, you, yeah. No, 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 no. Not the person next to you. You. I'm talking about you. You farty listener. <laughs> I like the idea. There's one person out there listening, going, "I'm very upset right now." <laughs> Don't upset our listeners. This podcast <laughs> should be escape from their flatulence. <laughs> Anyway, yes. Yeah. Scientists at Aarhus University in Denmark are engineering supergrass they hope can cut methane without starving the cows of other vital nutrients. So they're messing with the DNA so that it creates less methane when it's digested without denying the cow the nutrients that it needs. Yeah, oh, wow. Okay, that's good. I like supergrass. Like Australians invent supergrass. Denmark. Very exciting. Denmark. Denmark. Ah, Denmark. Ah. They beat us to the punch. No, in fact, I, I agree. The Australians should take over. Yeah, steal it out from under them. But let's forget the grass entirely because a crew of Penn State researchers added three nitro-oxypropanol into cow feed and the cows, they still burp as much, but yes. the 3-NOP binds the enzymes in the bovine's gut and prevents the gut microbes from producing the methane in the first place. 
okay. So in experiments, cows with altered guts emitted 30% less gas than usual. That's weird. Yeah. That's really strange. Yeah, well, it's... I like, I like that. It, it is, though, amazing the lengths that people will go to so that they can make sure they can still eat steak. Yeah, the, the, oh, look, as the uh, podcast vegetarian, I wasn't going to bring it up. <laughs> I was going to, I was going to ignore that for that bit. But yeah, it is, it is an interesting thing. Of we could just cut down on the amount of red meat that we eat. But you know, but yeah, nah, I, I know. Let's tinker with the very building blocks inside grass instead. <laughs> Welcome to the Walk of Shame, that part Woo-hoo! of the podcast every month where you, the audience, get to find our mistakes and bring illumination to our lives. Just champion all. So you're two ways of looking at it. You're either bringing illumination to our lives or you're holding it over us, like pointing out what sort of idiots we actually are. Both are correct. <laughs> now, first walk of shame is yes, for yes. myself. Ooh. And it's not even for something I said on the podcast. Okay. Many, many years ago, we were on the ABC as part of Smart Enough to Know Better, and I discussed herpes simplex, cold sores. Right. And yes. now cold sores, the virus is always in you, and then the virus wants a certain type of, uh, I think, amino acid or chemical or something. It wants something. If you've got this stuff in your blood supply and in your system, it will use it as food and make a great big blotchy blob on your lip. Okay. And then yep. I said, your body has only has space for this chemical or lysine. And so when you take a lysine tablet and fill your body with lysine, then it floods the whole place with lysine. The virus doesn't eat that, and it doesn't grow. And so lysine tablets are a very common cure for herpes simplex or cold sores. Is it a cure? It doesn't get rid of it. It just just gets rid of of the symptoms. Yes. It basically starves the virus of the food it needs to propagate and make itself into a bit. But then the virus just pulls back to the nerve endings and waits for another time to burst out. That's exactly what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not curing. It's not a cure. No. No, uh, once a... you're infected, that's it, you filthy animals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, sixty percent of the population. Ugh. Yeah, I kissed them all, <laughs> <laughs> and I liked it. They taste <laughs> like a simply herplex, herpes simplex. Oh, okay. hang on. <laughs> Sorry. So I was, <clears throat> I was chatting to a friend of mine named Amy, mm-hmm. and she happened to mention that she'd looked into it, and once again, I have been conned by the tablet people. Ooh. So that was years ago too. That was a long time ago. Taking lysine tablets, there's no scientific evidence that suggests that it works better than not taking them. Right. Bloody science or the lack thereof. Science. That's right. Lysine tablets don't work. I made a mistake all that time ago. Well, I'm sorry, ABC listeners in Australia. Dan led you down a garden path of craziness, but now we've reined him in and we've chopped, chopped back his rhododendrons of ignorance. Hmm. Let me give, come, come here. Let me give you an apology kiss. Ooh. Oh. I had a horrible th- thought process. It's not to do with herpes, but it had to do with kissing. And I was just lying in bed and, and I thought about thinking about kissing. Oh, I'm so lonely. But, um, <laughs> but, but I, little my, my lips w- in the dark. Yeah, it's like just kissing my teddy bear. And so the uh, and I realized 
it just, it, it just I started thinking about the human digestive tract, and basically you're a donut. All human beings are a donut, and the fact that you are a tube running from the mouth all the way to the anus with the flesh wrapped around it. So basically, it's a big long, it's big. Well, not a donut, I suppose, but um, no, it's, it's a yeah, meat I donut. Guess if you, yeah, you are basically a, a yeah a donut. It's a big long skinny donut. And then it occurred, occurred to me that it is one big tube. There's a tube from your mouth to your anus. It takes a long time to get there. So when you kiss someone on the lips, you are really kissing the other end of their anus. So um, enjoy that. Enjoy that next time. So what you're saying is that a rim job is kind of like a really French kiss. It's, it's the Frenchest of French kisses. Yeah. <laughs> you're welcome, lovers. <laughs> okay, walk of shame me. Come on. I must have done something wrong. I always do. Come on, come on, come on. Blister in the sun by the Violent Femmes. <laughs> I knew this one was coming. Oh, my goodness. You said that the lyrics were, let me go white like a blister in the sun, whereas I was saying it was, let me go off like a blister in the sun. Now, I I was under the impression that let me go off like a blister in the sun meant let me explode like a blister and like just semen everywhere. (laughs) So just white fluid everywhere. So I thought it was a, a, a euphemism for sex. Right. Yes. Okay. Scott wrote in and said, no, no, the lyrics are, let me go on like a blister in the sun, which doesn't even make any sense. Like, it's even more opaque now. (laughs) Okay, so I did a little more exploring, and it turns out everyone's wrong. Oh, okay. And then I heard from another listener, Janet, and she said the original lyrics are, let me go on like I blister in the sun. Gordon Gano said in an interview that the song isn't about orgasming at all. It's about drug use. Let me go on like I blister in the sun, meaning don't try to help me. It's no use. Leave me to my self-destructive behavior. Let me go on like I blister in the sun. I don't need to better myself. The girl won't pick me anyway. She's already picked the guy with the big hands. She knows he's the one. Right. There you go. So that's I learned so, a lot about that song. That's what you know, it, it got sent to me too. As that same thing. Got sent, I got a lot of people send me that one as well. And everyone got it, got it wrong as well. From what you just told me then. Everyone sees something different or, or loathes something different. I got lots of emails about, it's about masturbation. It's about, okay, she's you know, crying, watching me while I cry and all that sort of stuff. So yes, it's funny how we all we all know what the answer is but we don't actually know what the answer is oh we're all so, driven by passion rather than logic that's right but that's what I'd this never podcast actually... is here to help you with you f-ing idiots <laughs> if you hear a mistake that greg makes please do email me at dan at smartenough.org and when dan inevitably screws up again make sure you send it to greg at smartenough.org if you don't know what we sound like uh, just send it to one of us. We'll work it out. We'll we'll we'll, we'll work it out. Yeah. Some, just put it in the just I, put it in the line. Greg's mistake, and then Dan will send it to me. And well, no, he won't. The other way around. Well, anyway, knew, no, I'm confused. No, if they knew who it was who'd made the mistake, they'd just send it to the right email. The problem Damn is it. that they don't they can't hear the voices because you sound a bit well, like this, and I sound a bit like that. <laughs> It's very true. Now, I had an email, a question sent to me by Scott, a friend of the program, Scott, asking a scientific question. I wonder if it's the same Scott. It probably is. It probably is. Can astronauts burp in microgravity? So normally gravity would require to separate the gases from the solids in the stomach that causes burping. So can astronauts. So I did a bit of research into this. And to begin with, when I started looking into it, the answer was no, you can't 
actually burp in space. People are saying you can't burp in space because the uh, the gases can't separate out of the liquids at the top of the stomach because there is no top of the stomach. And so that was the generally considered wisdom of the crowds. You cannot burp in space. But then I actually found an astronaut who wrote about this, and he went, actually, everyone's wrong. You definitely can burp in space. He's been in space, and he, uh, and he burped. So he can definitely do it. So what he said here is, you can burp in space. However, in a microgravity environment, the burp is likely to what's called a wet burp. On Earth, the gas and liquids in the stomach separate, and the gas rises above the liquid. So when you burp, you are just releasing gas. In space, there is no mechanism to keep the gas and liquids separated, so burping can result in liquids being expelled too. It's just like acid reflux. It's a wet burp. Ew. I know. Yeah, it's fun, isn't it? Ow. So there you go. You can burp in space, but you wouldn't want to at the best of time. It wouldn't be a hilarious noise. You'd basically splatter someone in your stomach contents. Which is hilarious shut- in its own right. Until your spaceship shuts down because you've just got acid all over the equipment, just like some sort of filthy xenomorph. Don't do it. Don't do it. So thank you, Scott, for the, for the questions. That's very exciting. If you have any questions, please send them in. We'll do our best to to sort them out. Sometimes we can, sometimes we can't. But we'll do it our best. You have been listening. You you have been listening to (laughs) both of us. You pointed at me. That's just another one of those gang signs from before. (laughs) East Coast. You have been listening to Dan at smartenough.org. And the other person is Greg at smartenough.org. You can follow us on Twitter, SC2KB. Facebook, SC2KB. And, of course, get into iTunes and subscribe to us if you're not subscribed to us yet. And rate and review. If you've got any questions for us, send them in to us. That's important. Let us know what you think of it, what we could do better, what we could do worse. So this part of the podcast was just too good. Make it worse, please, in this terrible way. We'll, we'll take it on board. Oh, yeah. No, we're, anything that makes my job easier. <laughs> a big thank you to Anna from the QI podcast who gave us yes. a shout out. That has been such a joy. We've had a whole bunch of listeners jump on board after that. So it's been really lovely. If you haven't had a listen to the QI podcast, get onto iTunes and have a search for No Such Thing as a Fish. They're stacks of fun. I laughed a lot because the first thing I heard about it from this, it wasn't from people contacting me about the podcast. It was from my sister. uh, And she was like, oh, my goodness, I was listening to a really good podcast and your podcast was mentioned. And I laughed and laughed Mm -hmm. and laughed because I know what she meant, but... Yes, still. There was a there was a level of judgment there. <laughs> and to all our new listeners, thank you so much for tuning in and staying around for a couple more episodes. Hopefully you fall in love with us and hang around for every single episode after this. If you do really like it, please do share it with your friends. Jump onto Facebook or Twitter and say, or just talk to someone and go, oh, oh, you listen to podcasts? You should check out this one. Because, like, the more people who know about it, the more people are going to listen to us and the more worthwhile it is us doing it. Now, we're actually in a bit of a transitional period at the moment. We um, I moved away. Dan and I used to be able to hold each other's hands as we podcast, stare dreamily into each other's eyes. But then I moved three thousand horrify each other. It's, absolutely, it's, it's much more visceral when they can touch you, and because <laughs> I don't can't escape. I really don't like being touched that much. So it was very scary for me. But now I've managed to separate myself across an entire continent from Dan, uh, Mr. Dan over there. So we are separated by the entire Australia. Basically, nearly one-tenth of the planet is now separating us. So the podcast for the last couple of months has been in transition. If there's something you'd like us to add to the podcast, and a good idea that you think we could do, or something that you'd say, oh, well, those guys would handle this very well, let us know. Because we're looking for some interesting ideas and... The collective brain is much better than the individual brain. I really 
really believe that, and science backs me up. So let, let us know what you'd like us to see, what, what you'd like to see or hear in the podcast, what you think we could add to it to make your listening experience even more sexy. And as we always like to say, so long and thanks for all the fish. Copyright, trademark, Douglas Adams, not me. I've got me and the doctor. We're fine. Shooting the breeze. <laughs> That's also a sex thing, isn't it? <laughs> oh, he, the Fremantle doctor, I shot breeze all over her face. Oh. No? No, back to front, isn't it? We had such a nice ending then, and then you made it weird. Yep. What's going on here? I'm picking up. Picking up some whirring. Oh, it's me. <laughs> Stop whirring, Dan. Uh, yeah, it's just my computer. It's uh, hot. And it's trying its best not to explode. Uh. <laughs> they could, we'll see they, what happens. They should call it Spasia. Spasia? What, why? The, why? The eight, the, it'd be the Sp- Spatian Pacific Rim. The space. No, you know what? This pun just fell out of orbit. <laughs> he's not even saying yes, he's just nodding. I thought you were trying to finish. Every time I jump in on your joke, you're like, damn it, Greg, I was doing a clever thing, and then you kept talking. So now I'm going quiet. No, I'm just, it's just a thing at this point. It's not a clever thing. <laughs> Hopefully, all this will be cut. Yay! Cut, cut this, cut all this. Oh, yeah. We evolved? No, no. We evolved since then? No, 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 no. Not in, not in Canada, we didn't. <laughs> We were put here by a giant beast from the sky. The giant moose. I wasn't going to mention any sort of political thing, but Donald Trump. Sorry. Uh, I did it. Damn it. Why did I do it? So maybe there's like Donald Tuna down there and they're all like, oh, my God. Can you believe that so many other dolphins voted for Donald Tuna? That's right. Some sort of orange snapper. And then... And then another dolphin is like, oh, no, but I I understand, but he's got some sensible policies, and then it's just, <laughs> it's ocean warfare. That's right, that's people, whistles and clicks and whistles and clicks. Everyone writing their opinion. So, yeah, but but yes. this is the problem, is that all, all the other dolphins, they're always listening to uh, CNN. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Or MSNBC. Oh. It, it's a joke oh. that works written down more effectively. It's, um... CNN. Oh. CNN. Right. Uh, Bright Bottle News? No, wait, no. I'm so. Just, just, why are we doing this? Why are we, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Oh, some sort of self punishment thing. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let me just close my door. Back in a moment. I just realised that the uh, my neighbours were hearing me scream "fuck a pig" quite loudly with no context. So I thought I should. Probably, uh, they were worried that you're in the Tory party. <laughs> That's the only way to get elected. Oh, politics! In my time. Oh, hang on. Oh, hang on. Oh, hang on, he says. Yes, hang on, listeners. It's time for Pimp My Time. Greg, where are you sending me this month? So do you want to just play the right. music again? Then All right. I do want to play the music again. I 
met my ginger princess while training for the flight. We're both going to outer space to see amazing sights. The ways I love are more than their stars in the Milky Way. Awkwardly, she said she doesn't think of me that way. I fell into the vacuum, my blood froze, then it boiled. The atmosphere depressurized, my DNA uncoiled. The eclipse of my heart was total as the ship was blown. I'm higher than the atmosphere, but stuck in the friend zone. I very nearly shat myself, good that I wear depends. It's like explosive decompression when she says we're friends. I ask, is there another man? She says she needs her space to look down on the planet and in it to find her place. I fell into the vacuum, my blood froze, then it boiled. The atmosphere depressurized, my DNA uncoiled. The eclipse of my heart was total as the ship was blown. I'm higher than the atmosphere, but stuck in the friend zone. I realized that I had a chance, I just need to persist. I'll be the nicest guy around so I can get a kiss. I snuck a look and got a shock while she bathed in the tub. The Russian guy and her joining the hundred mile high club. I fell into the vacuum, my blood froze, then it boiled. The atmosphere depressurized, my DNA uncoiled. The eclipse of my heart was total as the ship was flown. I'm higher than the atmosphere, but stuck in the friend zone. My ginger princess broke my heart, I'll be the bigger man. I'll forgive her for her treason and then try to understand. I was always such a nice guy and he's a brutish ape. So I logged into her Twitter stream and I threatened her with rape. Put on my space fedora, you sluts are all space whores. I'll space murder your family, so barricade your doors. If I was given half a choice, I'd rather be alone. Who puts a nice space guy like me inside of the friend zone? Who puts a nice space guy like me inside of the friend zone? Who puts a nice space guy like me inside of the friend zone?